Get updated with the hottest news in insurance, finance, and the newest innovation in InsureTech and FinTech in these difficult times. Hear it from one of the most known and respected voices in the industry, Dr. Robin Kiera, and his guest of today. Hey guys, this is Insurance and Finance live from the rainy but beautiful city of Hamburg, Germany, and the sunny state of Florida, USA. I'm super happy to have Jim Albert here today, who is co-founder and chairman of Neptune Flood Insurance. Super hot topic, natural disasters and insurance. Not a love story, but after this call. So, Jim, thank you very much for being here. Robin, thank you so much for having me on your internationally recognized show. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yes, and you said it. We are looking forward to a lot of questions from around the world. If you want to know anything about flood, flood insurance, then this is a place to be and about natural disasters overall. We will talk about the significance of uh, natural disasters. Oh, here's an echo somewhere. That's weird. Um, but thank you very much for, for, for letting us know. Um, so natural disasters is a big topic. Let's talk about this at the end. I went on your homepage. And you said, actually, that um, you can do a quote in two minutes. And I tried it out, and it worked. And since I know, you know how what you need to do is in order to get a quote, and uh, not every insurance can do that so quickly, what's your magic solution? <laughs> well, and, and it, you know, Robin, it can actually take about 10 seconds. So we, we put a little bit of buffer in there in the two-minute promise, but it actually has taken a process that... In the, in the U.S., which is where I'm based and where we, we sell our product, when I started Neptune four years ago, the 95% provider was the National Flood Insurance Program. It was a government program, and they ask 54 questions, and they require a home inspection, and it's a 30-day wait, and it's a very complicated policy form. And and yet, if you go to Amazon.com for, for pretty much everything you buy, you know it's that one-click purchase. So the question was, can't we create that? For flood insurance and and of course the answer is yes you can so what we did is we distilled down 54 questions into two and yeah. and you you went through it you you saw that they're just a couple of questions that that need to be asked and and the traditional approach to underwriting is not that you go in the average insurance company especially those that have been around 50 or 100 years yeah and and they ask every single detailed underwriting question on the assumption that they're 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 properly assessing the risk. Well, fortunately with data analytics, we call in about a hundred different data sources. When you entered your address, we called in a hundred different data points. And therefore I didn't have to ask you any of those questions. I already knew that it was a two story wood frame home that was built in 1968. That is at this elevation and this far from the coast and validated the geospatial coordinates and all of that stuff. You don't have to ask it. Wow. Because, I mean, I just was a simple insurance salesman and uh, after that, a uh, uh, manager inside of insurance. So I never made it to actuary. But I would, you know, imagine an actuary when you describe to burn down the questionnaire, um, screaming out really loudly and saying, no, how do you, are you going to estimate risk? But what you are saying is you just um, tag into alternative data sources to um, verify the information or get it automatically, not to torture the client. Well, and two things there, you're, you're absolutely right. Very good data sources, including data analytics. And, and this is a little bit of insurance heresy. We do not have any underwriters. 
our underwriter is actually a computer. So, okay. so everything that we use for underwriting and risk selection is coded into our software. And that software made that decision in less than one second when you entered the address, we'd already assessed the risk, we'd priced the risk, we'd calculated the aggregation, and we had determined which capacity provider we'd, we'd put that on. All that happens in real time. I think it's super interesting because we have the discussion also with a lot of clients or um, insurance companies here in Europe that, I mean, they would not say it in public, they would, uh, you know, thinking about abolishing the underwriter, but the type of underwriting that had been done over the last decades, they are really working on, on to re reducing um, that. And then when you say you don't have an underwriter, I think that's, that's, I think we should, you know, think, pause for a moment and think about what that means. But we don't. By the way, if you are watching on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, do not hesitate to ask a question. Like, share, and hug your phone really, really tight in order to show the algorithm that you know you love this show. Um, all right. No, thank you very much. I think that's a super interesting question. But how do you actually do it? Because, I mean, of course, we have a lot of smart people working in the industry. Um, how is it that then actually, um, how were you able to you know, build a machine that gets into alternative data sources and, and reduce. I mean, that's technically, technologically super complex. Well, it's a, it's a learning algorithm too. So artificial intelligence goes into it. In, in 2017, early 2017, I went over to London and sat in a Lloyd's conference room with a bunch of, of uh, underwriters from, from Lloyd's and had a series of, of, of difficult conversations about this thing called digital insurance. Yeah, trusting trusting a digital model to properly assess risk and produce good outcomes, yeah. and and so in 2017 when we were first starting, I didn't have any basis to to build it on. It was I believe this can happen. Here's the reliability of the data sources. Here's the accuracy of the data. If you introduce a human element, ask ask the average homeowner what the square footage of their home is. No one knows, <laughs> but the you will laugh. You will laugh. I just recently needed to submit this for a. We have a real estate business on the side for a real estate I own. I don't know. I don't know how much, how much square footage it is. I need and and then I want to calculate it from me. I'm like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. So, but I think that's something. Even in health insurance, okay, no, we're getting a little sidetracked. But also for health insurance, it's a big topic. When were you sick in the last 10 years? I don't know, you know. So I think that's a super important point to also avoid false the, the sub, submission of false information unintendedly by actually the client. That's that's exactly right. So the computer does know the data. The databases know with a high degree of accuracy what the square footage is in your home. So by being able to pull in all these data sources, then. Now it's 2018, 19, 2020. We're in our fourth year of insurance operations. And now we have, we're approaching 50,000 policies across the US. We're the highest, highest growth uh, private flood insurer in America. And now we've got a good solid statistical base of losses and premiums and gross written premium and, and the like. And you can look at our ratios and see that in fact, the model works. The single risk modeling is effective. And digital insurance not only makes it super easy to buy insurance, as you saw with your two-minute quote, but yeah. also it improves the accuracy of the results. And that's that's a beneficial outcome for everybody. Thank you. I think we have an echo problem on LinkedIn. I'm super sorry for that. Um, let me check this. 
But I think that's the beauty of live shows. So um, if you do not like it on LinkedIn, go to our website or go to YouTube. It's even better there. Um, all right. Um, no, I think I think that's, that's a good point. I think what I wanted to say is you need a different team. If you go to a traditional IT department, great people working there, but I'm not sure if they are capable of pulling such thing off to be quite, to be quite honest. Yep, and and I built a team from scratch. We're 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 22 people, Robin, and 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 50,000 policies. So the building a company like a software company and using technology beneficially to produce good outcomes and bring more people into the insurance market. But if you if you only have twenty two people in your company, they've got to be really really good people. So we're we're really very careful. And and my CTO is amazing, and our chief risk officer is incredible. And it's uh, you know my business partner and CEO of the company, Trevor, is just incredible. It's it's uh, it's an amazing team of people. And there's a rumor on the market. A rumor says that you are actually not an insurtech because you're profitable. <laughs> Yes, it, it it is true that that rumor is is accurate. Neptune is a profitable insure tech, and I think if you if you put those two words in the same sentence, you will not find many companies that can actually say that's the case. But yeah, uh, we a shout out to German Family Insurance, my friends from friends from Frankfurt. They probably love to hear this too. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think that. It, the, I mean, there are lots of companies that went down another path to to bring in you know, millions or hundreds of millions of capital and and grow exponentially that way. Now we're growing two hundred fifty percent, and that's still uh, so we still got a, a significant growth rate. But our basic philosophy has always been to create a sustainable company, one yeah. that will be there in the long run for our policyholders and for our business partners and for our agents and carriers and, and reinsurers that do business with us. So everybody's aligned in the model yeah. that if, if, if we're making money, then they're making money. We're able to provide low cost policies or high coverage policies to policyholders. And, and we went profitable, Robin, a year and a half ago. And wow. we've been profitable since. So call that you know two-ish years after we, we began operating, we were profitable. And then and, and now that is definitely a sustainable approach. Now, congratulations to that. I think uh, there are a lot of paths to Rome, as we say in German, so a lot of different uh, paths to, to a, the direction of building up a company. But I, I think if a company is profitable in that stage and, and, and not burning dozens of millions of, of dollars, I think that's a just, uh, I think we should talk about this in, this, in the industry more. And I, I would love to have a panel at ITC maybe next year where we have wow. a pro five profitable or for 10 profitable Intratech there and they share their secrets and they inspire also others to do so. That would be really cool. Count me um, in. I'll, I'll be with you on that panel. Count me in. Very good. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. But let's go. Uh, let's talk a little bit about flood and, and natural disasters. I mean, uh, probably also some reinsurers are watching here. That's a super hot topic. It sounds boring, but in order to calculate risk and to calculate natural disasters, when you have like a glass bulb to look, look into the future, I think I mean billions and billions and billions, especially in certain regions in the, around the world, are actually um, um, covered by or not covered are actually you know distributed because of flood, natural disasters. So, what is your take on that? And on, on people say, I mean, when I when I when I when I got so heard your story um, about a new flood insurer, I was like, hmm, isn't that a little bit risky because we have all this climate change and things going on. Um, so how do you calculate this risk? I mean, feel free to share company secrets. <laughs> well, well, let's let's start with climate change. You, you just brought that up. And let's just start with it is real. You, yeah. you can look at 
the the nature of the storms over the last few years, Hurricane Harvey in 2017 dropped 52 inches of rain in one small area on one town. That's a little unprecedented. Now it's happened in the past, but has it ever happened five years in a row? No, and it has in Houston over the past over the past five years. Uh, that's a rain event, and it happened to be a hurricane, but it was rain after the hurricane, because much of your listening audience is not exposed to hurricanes. <laughs> Don't I wouldn't wish that on anyone. We we just had one here in in where I am in St. Petersburg, Florida, just uh, six days ago, and wow. it was a tropical storm when it hit. But but it kind of gets into human nature also, which we can we can come around to. But climate change is definitely real. King tides, uh, the Midwest flooding in the U.S. last year. There were towns that were underwater for seven months. So you can have a river flood and it's there for a week or two weeks or maybe three weeks. But for seven months, there are certain towns that were completely underwater. We have storms that uh, it's late season. Here it is, November 16th. We're recording this. And it's the it's the highest hurricane year ever. The, the, there never have there been thirty named storms in North America before. Wow. This year there there are thirty, and and there's one active right down in the uh, in the Gulf of Mexico right now. So so climate change is real, and 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 that's um, that's that's out there. But then then flooding as a as a modeled risk. You, you think about it, it is actually the most common loss that a homeowner experiences is flooding. And yet it's an optional coverage. So so why is that? That You have to have homeowner's insurance, you have to have auto insurance, but you don't have to have flood insurance. So time and again, in storms like Harvey or Florence or the Midwest flooding, the majority of the people that had losses did not have any insurance. And so- yeah. Think of think of the losses, the financial loss to these poor individuals that didn't yeah. think they were at risk or just opted not to buy flood insurance because they didn't have to. It's it's a, a tragedy that recurs again and again. Here, um, first of all, uh, the first you know viewers also ask questions. I hope there will be more more to come. Uh, let me get, let me try to find the name of the a person who still congrats you. I have a suggestion. Wait a second. It is Stefan Best um, from a, a large insurer here in Germany who says congratulations to build that from scratch. There's a, a, a somewhat nerdy question from Philip Schneidbach um, and he asks, wait a second. Um, and he says, a down-to-earth question, can a generic insurance company do a transition into a single risk model? Or, wait a second. Or should they go ahead and build a new business model then uh, and, and, and run, let run that off? I mean, you're the new generation, but uh, what is your take on that as a tip for all the incumbents watching? Yeah, I'm probably the old generation in a new generation business model. So, and I've worked for large companies. Uh, the, the, the first company that I worked for was AT&T in the US. And at the time when I joined, it had 1 million employees. So wow. I'm, 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 I'm used to the, the big company bureaucracy. And then I worked in Bell Labs. I worked in another insurance company at one point and then started Neptune. So I've seen both models. And I, and I really like this question from, from Philip. The, my recommendation is that to start it from scratch from within. So create what's, what people refer to as a skunk works. Just, just carve it off and, and use a different tech stack and a dedicated team and build it from there because the number one inhibitor and this comes up in a lot of the conferences and talking about startups and insure tech and 
the number one inhibitor to success of innovation within a big company is actually the culture. It's not funding. It's not, I mean, the legacy stack is a real problem because yeah. it, it's hard to do anything when you're competing with upgrades and renovation and code from 1983 and all that. But but the biggest problem was actually a culture that says no to these kind of things. So I would carve it off and, and create it from scratch. I think a good book here, or one could call it also the Bible of innovators, is the innovator's dilemma, which describes this beautifully, the pain of everybody. When I read this, I was like, oh my God, he, he knows the company I was working at. <laughs> you know, he wrote it before I went there. Um, I think that's very beautiful and you describe it really, really uh, drastically. It's, 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 it's culture. Uh, and that's why I think if you found new units, you need to put them very far away from the mothership, you know, and let them do before, you know, politics reaches them. We sometimes get called in uh, emergency projects where, you know, in corporate startups and uh, corporates have difficulties. And we found one number or one reason is it's not too far away. It's, 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 it's too close to the mothership. And sometimes they need to produce return and invest within no time, and but they don't have any uh, decision making to do by themselves. So that's also a big topic. Do you want have a lab? Then you can, you know, uh, do funny things with it and also, you know, command them things to do. But then I don't want to see the world return on invest. Or right. it's a finance one that they run loose and make a lot of money. Then if your competitor wants to, you know, buy their product, you cannot interfere. But just funny side note. <laughs> Well, well, and and Robin, they need to be allowed to fail. That that's yeah. the thing. And in many corporate cultures, you're not allowed to fail. Um, in in, Nept in Neptune, hey, we had our share of failures. It, this is my first startup. You know, I definitely went down some some paths that that I had to backtrack on. But we're now on version 110 of our risk selection and rating engine. So, and this is in two and a half years, maybe from from version one to to version 110. So. So we're making a release, sometimes multiple product releases daily. Wow. And, and so having a dedicated team and not having to go through an approval cycle of seven layers into the corporate hierarchy is vital to being able to, some of those changes are just reversing out something that didn't work, but a lot of them are little experiments. Hey, let's try this in the underwriting. Let's, let's eliminate this question. Let's add this pop-up uh, information bit for a, for a shopper. Um, yeah. I mean, th think, just think, we, we're kind of talking about digital insurance. And, and I, I, I like to use this example that you think if you go to the Amazon website and, and most of us, I, I think have probably shopped on Amazon, you shop online, you fill your cart, you've got your one click purchase and, and, eat, and sometimes it even, your product appears at your home in the same day. Well, just think if you, if you went to Amazon and you did your shopping and then when you click buy, a little box came up that said, thank you for shopping Amazon. One of our representatives will call you in the next few days and evaluate whether you will be allowed to buy our product and we'll tell you exactly what the prices are. Have a nice day. <laughs> I think Jeff Bezos would still sit in his one uh, room, one uh, office thing with his door exactly. as a paper. Exactly, how much business would they do? Not much. So, but, but now, really think about that example. That is the best case in most insurance companies right now. That's the absolute best. So there's so much room for change in insurance. And that's what we tried to create. That's why I call it a software company. And we've tried to get the Amazon-like purchase experience because every insurance success story is actually a distribution success story. 
and and enabling your distributors and making it super easy to buy insurance and super easy for them to sell insurance is what actually allows it to grow. Distribution is a good point because Stefan Best, who is a salesman, also has a question when it comes to distribution. Um, and what he says, um, I think when we may see which potential of joint product development distribution do you see with other companies as partners? Or let me translate it. How do you distribute your products? Yeah, uh, well, the, the short answer to his question is yes, you want to have every possible distribution channel that, that you can that you can get. And, and so for Neptune, it's it's the whole stack. We have a direct-to-consumer distribution option. It's the only place in the U.S. that you can go and shop for flood insurance online and get a real quote and not have people chase you down and call you back. You can actually do it right, right then and there on the website. But that's only 3% of our business. The bulk of our business is through the traditional agent channel. And agents are vital. Agents are the trusted advisors for consumers to help them understand their risk and buy a policy. So 97% is through agents, but wow. that, that includes retail agents, MGAs, wholesalers, carriers. So we're, we have as partners, distribution partners, some of the largest carriers in the country. And then, um, and so that's it. It's a four tier distribution stack from direct to consumer, independent agents, MGAs and wholesalers, and then carriers. But there, his question also gets to alternative channels. And that's a really interesting line of discussion that I think yeah. is is evolving. I mean, let's think about the real estate industry, and I can certainly speak to the U.S. and a little bit the U.K., but I'm not familiar with some some of the other countries and how it works. But the first person that that really gets engaged with a potential home buyer and can help them assess their risk is actually the real estate agent. So, what if real estate agents became critical in informing home buyers of their risk and also helping? them either get connected to agents or connected to the Neptunes of the world or even selling flood insurance. That's one um, That's one do potential you work, distribution channel. Do you channel. collaborate with real estate agents? Absolutely. Yes. Yep. We, uh, we go to conferences. We actually have as business partners a number of agents. And until recently, we even shared space with a real estate agency because they're, they're absolutely critical to the, uh, I think, the solution of the coverage gap in, in America. Yeah, I think I think it's 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 super exciting to see um, uh, that you tackled it in a technological way that you really went after it, that you're profitable um, and um, to really see uh, what I what I what I want to say is I think it's quite interesting that you choose a super complex topic to tackle because what we see over here or actually around the world is insurtech tackling more easy products like liability where you don't have to put so many data points into it. Um, why did you choose uh, that? I mean, probably you could have chosen also different risks to attack. And again, natural disasters, flood is something not easy to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe if I knew what I know now, I might have gone <laughs> a different line. <laughs> but but I think this one's worked out. The uh, the decision process. We knew we had good tech, and we knew we had a model that would enable a, a very simple um, process to apply and buy insurance. And that could have applied to hurricane, it could apply to earthquake, wildfire, drought yeah. and crop insurance, hail, you name it, any, any of the catastrophes. But once once we dug into it, and this is also with my co-founder, a guy named Bill Martin, who's now the uh, CEO of Plymouth Rock um, uh, Home Assurance up in Boston, 
and Bill's a, a brilliant technology and insurance guy. And, and he and I put our heads together and, and said, well, which, which line of business should we go into? Well, flood at the time in 2016 was a, a market segment that 95% of the US market was a federal government provided um, flood product yeah. called the National Flood Insurance Program with 54 questions and 30 day wait in this very, very manual process. And also more than 90% of the people that are at risk of flooding in the US do not have any, ins any insurance at all. So we kind of had this higher calling that we feel like we can do some real good and help people that have never had flood insurance get it. And also we can apply it to a segment where, you know, if you're going to compete with somebody, <laughs> competing with the federal government is probably where you'll want to start. <laughs> One of my most favorite American sayings is don't go with a knife to shooting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, exactly. So, yeah. but what you said, 3% direct sales, which is already brilliant. I, I did, I tested on your website and 97% um, uh, brokers and agents, actually, actually agents. Um, why do they use you and not the traditional way? Because it's so easy. So, okay. so I, I've heard so many times from so many of, I, mean, I talk with our agent partners all the time and they hear them say, oh my gosh, that was so incredibly easy. So, so they are, they are left with a time conundrum, really. They, they've got a certain amount of time and they want to sell as many policies as possible. And they could either take 45 minutes to quote somebody else's insurance policy for, for flood insurance and have to deal with a home inspection and trailing documents and a lot of manual operation, or they can quote Neptune in two minutes or less. Let me think what I would do or when I would have been, but when I was an agent, how would I have decided? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a, it's a tough one there. But the, the other thing we do, Robin, with high volume agents is we embed our, our, um, our application programming interface, our API in their, in their platform. So yeah. every time they enter an address for a homeowner's quote, it automatically generates a quote for Neptune flood as well. So, they don't even have to do anything and they've got a quote right there with a real premium and they can go ahead and bind it right there in real time. That is not only Amazon experience, that's Google Maps experience, I would wow. say. <laughs> it reminds me of that. Jim, it has been a pleasure. Time flies. Thank you everybody out there for your, for your questions. Um, the book we mentioned and we are both in love with is The Innovator's Dilemma. One question was asked. So make sure when we put it into the show notes too. Jim, thank you very much. One last question. You gave now so much to the community um, and we see already hundreds of people watching in the different channels. Um, what can the community do for you? Oh my goodness. Well, they can reach out to Neptune and please give us feedback on how we can get to version 111 and 150 and version 200 because we, we live by the feedback and suggestions of our, of our policyholders, of our agent partners, of the community. We're, we're constantly innovating. Uh, the second thing is promote the the uh, awareness of flood risk because yeah. that's the biggest the biggest problem is actually not competitors traditional other insurance companies that you think of as competitors the biggest problem is the person is making no decision at all they're not buying flood insurance and yeah. they should be and it's really just a tragedy so please help promote the uh, the the need for the understanding your flood risk and buying flood insurance Jim it has been a pleasure thank you very much thank you Robin appreciate the opportunity to be on your show.